So today, we are continuing with a series that we're calling Higher Love. And the reason that we're calling it Higher Love is because there is a love that our, there is a love that our culture describes to us. But just to be honest, it's a lower love. I heard a story about a young man who called his mom just excited that he had found the one. He had fallen in love with the woman of his dreams. And so his mom gives him some advice and she says, well, why don't you send her some flowers and invite her over to your apartment for a home-cooked meal? Because women love that. So he, he thought, well, mom's pretty smart. So he did just that. Well, the next day, mom calls to find out how everything went. And he said, Mom, man, the whole thing was a complete disaster. It just, it was horrible. It fell apart. I mean, she loved the flowers and she was excited to come over, but then she refused to cook. <laughs> now that is a lower love that we're talking about. That selfish love. That I love you because of what you will do for me. Because of what I can get out of you. You see, this love that we've been fed by our culture is actually, it's done a huge disservice to some very important parts of our lives. First of all, in our marriages and our relationships, what the world calls love has actually, has actually resulted in divorce rates of over 50%. And not just in the world, but in the church as well. This, this love, it has actually also created a struggle in loving each other across cultural bounds and racial bounds. And the, this same love has also, it, it's not helping across political lines either. In fact, love for each other across political lines is actually getting worse and worse. And we use this cop out of, well, no, no, I love you, I love you, I just don't like you. Because of your viewpoints. And therefore, I can't associate with you. See, that is the love that the world describes to us. And it's very easy to identify because that lower love I'm talking about, it's this. It's a selfish love. But the higher love that God describes is a selfless love. Now, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about how to apply higher love across cultural or racial bounds and lines. And we're not talking about that because there's been any kind of issue here within Living Word. In fact, I like to talk about things like that when there's no issue. You're not reacting to anything. But we're going to be proactive in loving each other across cultural lines. And then the week after that, last week, we're going to be talking about political lines. Having a higher love where we love each other across political lines. And of course, we have an election coming up, so it's good for us to prepare our hearts to be Christians united first before we identify in any other way. Male, female, culture, race, political party, in any aspect. Is that right? We owe each other this higher love. But today, we're actually going to be calling, we're going to be talking about that higher love versus selfish love in marriage relationships, or we're going to talk to those of you that are dating as well. See, that picture of love that the world has painted for us is a love that is extremely selfish. Through all of our entertainment, all the media and music and movies and romantic comedies and all of this, the love that's portrayed to us is a love that says, I love you because I need you. I love you because I feel this way about you. I love you because I can't live without you. See, it's all about I, I, I and how I feel and what I need. That I love you because of what I need. Not be, and, and because of what I feel. 
So this lower love or this selfish love is all about me and what I need. I mean, you've seen it and I've seen it. Two people that are extremely needy, they need someone to love them. They need someone to, fit, to fulfill them. So they find somebody else and there is nothing sadder than watching two needy people leeching love from each other. Have you seen that? Here's the issue though. That within our culture today, the strength of our marriage relationships is determined by our love for each other. And if that love is determined by how the world says the strength of love is, then it's the most fragile thing that we could possibly imagine. Because listen, this selfish love says this, that I love you as long as I feel loving feelings toward you. I love you as long as you act the way I want you to act. I love you as long as you fulfill my needs. And much of this in our society says that even if you are meeting my physical needs, my emotional needs, even if you are meeting all of my needs, if I don't feel love toward you, then that loving feeling has gone. And then we're off to find it again in somebody else. We've fallen out of love. Now you know and I know, we all know, that in love, that feeling of in love or being in love, which in all reality is infatuation, it's an emotion. It comes and it goes without any control from you at all. No matter how much you try to emotionally love somebody, to be infatuated with someone, you have no control. You know it, I know it, we all know it. That just because somebody is infatuated with you and you're not infatuating with them, you can't just muster those feelings up, right? They come and go like the wind. See, this type of love that's based like on a feeling. Listen, over thousand, thousands of years of human, recorded human history, that this emotional love being at the core of our relationships is only 100 to 200 years old. That we have chosen our mates based upon an infatuation or a feeling that comes and goes at will. That we have no control over. And the divorce rate, it, it has skyrocketed as we have begun to choose who we marry and then choose who we are stay married to based upon not a commitment to another human being, but upon a feeling that we have toward another human being. So... We take two human beings and we find the most volatile, fragile, uncontrollable, inconsistent emotion that we could possibly think of. And then we decide that we are going to make that the very core and the foundation of our marriages and therefore our families. Hmm. And then we wonder why we don't have strong families. Why we struggle so much in our relationships. And some of us have experienced these family struggles that I'm talking about as well. And we have scars coming from that. And so a lot of this confusion comes from two myths that kind of operate in the back of our thinking within our culture. And one of those myths is this, is it's the right person myth. That means that once you read the, meet the right person, everything's going to be okay. And all the married people chuckled. <laughs> That regardless of what you do between now and when you meet the right person, once you meet the right person, all your problems go away. And everything's going to be just fine. And once you find them, everything's going to be fine, including you. All those bad habits that you have, all that insecurity that you have, it's just going to vanish. And the reason that you're not that person now is because you haven't met the right person. 
But when you do, you'll be a better person. And that's a myth. Because the issue is, the issue is, is that we bring ourselves into it. And yet this actually fuels this fantasy of finding the right person. Nobody ever sits around and fantasizing about becoming the right person. Right? It's always about, as soon as I meet them, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be fulfilled. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be a better person just because I found them. So the question is, are we becoming the person that you, that the person that you, that you, the person you married wanted you to be? And was hoping you would be. So then there's the second one. The promise myth. That the promise actually replaces the need for preparation. That you don't have to prepare for a relationship. You could just promise your way into it. A vow, a ring, and a party. And boom. You can promise yourself into relational maturity. But a promise is no separation. Or no, no replacement for, for preparation. We know it in academics. We know in, ath- in athletics. Certainly we know this in athletics. I mean, athletes don't promise to win games. They prepare to win. That's why, see, following Jesus doesn't just make your life better. It actually makes you better at life. Because when you choose to follow Jesus, he will lead you in the direction of relational integrity. Because Jesus is all about relationships. See, because in the, in, in the beginning, God created humanity. All of us gave us personalities, made us in his image. And we, that's why we are relational people made for relationship. And following Jesus is going is to up your relationship game. Not just so that you'll be happier, but because you'll be more like him. So when we read the Gospels, Jesus' invitation is not pray to me. It's not promise me. His invitation to us is follow me. Because I'm going to take you to a single command that once you understand it, it has the potential to change everything in your relationships. And it's so simple. He says, look, guys, if you forget everything else, John 15, 12, he says this. Jesus says, everything else that I've ever said that was ever before, it hangs on this one rule love each other but not the way that the world has loved you but love each other as I have loved you and that is a whole nother kind of love that is higher love and this kind of love will help you find the person that you want to find if you haven't found them yet and it'll make it'll help make you the person somebody else wants to find If you're already married, this higher love will help you have the relationship that you've always dreamed of having. So, the Apostle Paul, what he does is he comes along and he takes Jesus' single command, love others as I have loved you, and he kind of of unpacks it so we understand what Jesus meant when he says, love others as I have loved you. You see, Paul's instructions or commands in the Bible... Whenever he is writing like what you should do or what you shouldn't do, he's not giving new commands. All he's doing is giving us application of Jesus' one single command. This is why before his commands and after his commands in the Bible, Paul always ties everything back to being in Christ or about Christ or to the resurrection. He's saying here's what Jesus' commands look like in the real world. Applied. And so here's what he does for us is he defines love for us. Not a worldly lower kind of love, but what Jesus' love toward us, higher love, looks like. And he says, you should love each other like Jesus loves you. 
And so Paul says, here's exactly what it looks like. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, he says that the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated to us and for us through Christ, here's what it looks like. Love is patient. Higher love is patient. Higher love isn't pushy. Listen, if somebody is pushing you, then they are not loving you with higher love because it's self-centered. Higher love actually pushes me to give you room because then it's others-centered. See, you don't have to push. You don't want to be rushed. Higher love chooses to move at somebody else's pace. It doesn't pressure the other person to match our pace. But see, that's not natural to us. What's natural is your own pace is natural to you. That's why you think that everybody should run and live and do life at your pace. Drive at your pace. That's what's wrong with everybody else. But this is what causes relationship challenges. Because higher love doesn't ask everybody else to keep pace with you. It means I am going to keep pace with you. Love defers to other people. It's because that's what God did for us. For you and for me. And he didn't force his pace on us. See, listen to this. God did the most extraordinary thing. God accommodated you and me. In fact, the best way to understand the whole Bible is that God accommodates to our capacity. Like a good father, he speaks our language. A language that we could understand. He meets us where we're at. Because if we went at his pace, we wouldn't know anything about God. But he comes down to our, he slows down and he accommodates to our capacity and to our pace. And he says to us, dads, moms, boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, I want you to practice accommodating each other. I want you to accommodate each other's capacity. I want you to move and, and, and move in their direction. See, God did it for us. We're supposed to do it for them. And listen, to go the distance relationally, we have to exercise our patience. And we do that by practicing. If we do that by practicing patience now in our dating relationships, you'll be able to do it later if you're not already made, married. Higher love is patient. Are you pushy? Am I pushy? Stop. Be willing to move at the pace of the people that you love. Love is patient. Anybody know what the next one is? Love is kind. Very good. See, kindness, it sounds soft and cuddly and sometimes weak. But listen, guys, especially we need to know this. Kindness is actually an expression of strength. Unkindness is weakness. Let me explain. Unkindness is weakness because it means that we can't bridle ourselves. We are selfish. We cannot tame our tongue. We cannot control our t ourselves. Unkindness is evidence of weakness. It means we can't control ourselves. Kindness is simply loaning somebody else your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. It's when I'm going to lean in your direction instead of reminding you, oh, you always do that, you did that again, and man, haven't we talked about this? I mean, look at this house, it's a mess. Kindness is not constantly reminding people of their weakness. It's loaning them your strength, doing for others what they cannot in the moment do for themselves. That's kindness. It's higher love's response to weakness. It's what God did for you. Paul said it this way. He said, while you were still sinners, God didn't put his hands on his hips and just say, you did what? Again? No. While you were still a sinner, 
all your promises and your broken promises and your vows and all of that stuff that you got messed up. Knowing that you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He loaned you his strength in the midst of your weakness. God says, I want you to have higher love and loan people your strength instead of remind them of their weaknesses. So here's my question. What is your go-to response for weakness? What's your go-to response in response to the weaknesses of other people around you? And listen, if you're dating, pay really close attention here. Pay a close, close attention to their go-to response and weakness in others. Because when they're pursuing you, they are on their best behavior for you. But the response, their response to weakness in others will eventually be their response to you. And just a little heads up. People that use kindness as a means to an end are often mean in the end. Might drop. <laughs> so then uh, Paul gives us this toxic trio of love. He says this, love does not envy, it does not boast, and it is never proud. Love does not envy, love does not boast, and it's not proud. Love allows the other person to shine. Higher love is willing to step out of the spotlight even when they have, when we have reason to step into the spotlight. And guys, this is so, so important. This is higher love. It's not self-centered. Higher love is not threatened by other people's success. It can celebrate other people's success without adding your own story and, oh yeah, but that's kind of because I was involved. It, higher love can step out of the spotlight and just celebrate the accomplishments of other people without interjecting themselves and their accomplishments and this is where it's hard and this is where higher love leans into the stuff that we need to work on personally listen if you don't feel good about yourself it's really hard to let other people feel good about themselves and if there's something in us that has a hard time letting them just stay in the spotlight without, without jumping in and saying, well, when I was in college, you know, or when I was your age, uh-oh. If you can't let somebody you love stand in the spotlight alone, there's something that we need to work on. And there's something in me and in us. If there's something in us that we need to work on, let's do that. Let's prepare. Otherwise, it's hindering our ability to love others in Christ and how he loved us. Think about it. Jesus, in his very nature, he was God. But he did not allow his equality with God to move him to actually grasp his equality with God. That's Paul's fancy way of saying this. Even when Jesus came to planet Earth and was God in a body, deserved everything, he never played the God card to get his own way. Jesus instead he says listen I want you to do for others what I did for you I want you to forgo your privilege sometimes I want you to forgo the credit you deserve sometimes I want you to forgo the opportunity that comes along every now and then to talk about all that you've done so that, so that what other people have done isn't highlighted when there's something inside of us that we just have to say what we've done or what we know about the subject it's it's Listen, it's getting credit. When you feel like you have to jump in and you have to, there, and you have to insert some kind of barb or some kind of jab, if that's in you, that's going to undermine your relationships. Play, pay very close attention to your internal reactions to the success of those that are closest to you. 
So this next one that he gives us is so important in this culture. Because the Apostle Paul uses a word that we don't use a whole lot anymore. And here's what he says. In verse 5, he says, Love does not dishonor others. Do you have any idea how unique you would be in our world and in our culture? Do you know how unique you would be if you decided today, I will never dishonor my spouse for the rest of my life. I will never dishonor them with my words, with my look. I will never dishonor them with my response. I'll never dishonor them behind their back with my friends. For the rest of my life, I'm going to honor them the way that God in Christ honored me. Do you have any idea how unique that would make you? But more importantly than that, do you know how much more like Jesus that would make you? So we don't use this term much, honor. But I'm telling you that honor is at the heart of every satisfying relationship. It's at the heart of higher love. The epicenter of every satisfying relationship. And listen, Paul does us a huge favor here. He defines honor for us. And we need a definition because we don't use this term a whole lot. Philippians 2.3. He says this. He says, just value others above yourselves. Just value others above yourself. Because they're more valuable? No, they're not more valuable than you. But you treat them as if they are more valuable. Because that is what God in Christ did for you and for me. It was higher love. See, when he went to the cross, what did he say about you? What did he say about me? If a person is willing to lay down their life for us, whether or not their life is more valuable than yours is not the issue. The fact that they would submit themselves to you, place themselves under you, and take your burden onto them, this is what Jesus did for us. It's what it looks like to value someone as if they are more valuable than us. Everybody in this room, we all know how to do this. Imagine you had the opportunity to have dinner with your favorite actor, actress, recording artist, whoever. I mean, just, just the two of you, maybe a couple other friends. Think about how you would prepare for that. All that you would go through to prepare. Think about how you would behave. That's what honor looks like. Treating someone as if they are more important or more valuable than you. We don't need any lessons. What you would do is you would bring your best version of you to that dinner. You'd show up early, and if they arrived late, you wouldn't say, Hey Denzel, what in the world, man? Look, if you're going to show up late, I don't know that we can do this. I'm out. If your favorite person showed up late, what are you going to do? You're going to defer to them. No, no, it's cool. I'm just honored to have dinner with you. It doesn't matter to me that you're late. The honor is all mine. We know how to do this. That's what your heavenly father did for you. It was higher love. And then he says this. He says, I don't want you to just love. I want you to love as I have loved you. Now, can I give you some advice? Don't stay in a dating relationship where you are constantly dishonored. If you're in a dating relationship where you are consistently and constantly put down, put down, put down, dishonored, get out. Because eventually if you don't, you'll come to the conclusion that you are a dishonorable person. And once you conclude that you're a dishonorable person, you will begin to behave dishonorably. 
which keeps that cycle going. And you need to get out of that. Text them right now. <laughs> you are inherently honorable. And here's how I know that is because the value of a thing is determined by the price it will bring. It's economics 101. The value of a thing will... will is determined by the price it'll bring. And you were bought with a price. God sent his son into this world to pay a price for you. You're not even your own. You are extraordinarily valuable. And you deserve to be valued because of who you are. And if you're in that situation, please get out. Please. Now, for those of you that are married, do not use this as an excuse to get out of a relationship. <laughs> you just need to do the work. I'm not advocating divorce. I'm talking about not making a mistake because of selfish love. But I need him. But I need her. But I feel this way about them. No, I'm talking about having higher love and setting yourself up in the future for a healthy relationship by demanding higher love from those that you are dating. But if you're in an environment where you're constantly dishonored, it is so unhealthy. So don't allow yourself to be dishonored. But the real application here is don't dishonor others. Because you and I were raised, we were raised in a culture where dating is not about becoming somebody. It's not about being prepared. It's about getting somebody. It's fueled by the right person. If I could just find them and this assumption that I don't need to prepare, I don't need to exercise any relationship muscles. I just need to go out and hunt. In fact, you can go out and be impatient unkind and dishonorable while you look for somebody who is patient and kind and honorable and I hate to tell you the problem is they're not looking for you not if they've got any sense this is about preparing to win in relationships about exercising these muscles so that you meet when you meet the person of your dream which I hope all of us do that you would be prepared because Jesus knew and the Apostle Paul says that this is how you become the person worth looking for. And if you're in a relationship and you are married, this is how you become a person worth staying for. It's how you become the person that the person who entrusted their future to you was hoping you would be. And I understand why it gets kind of quiet with a message like this because, listen, none of this comes naturally to us, right? I mean, most married people, you know, we thought that all this stuff would come naturally, so we didn't work on it. Most of us thought that it would come naturally because we met the right person. We thought that our partner would be so perfect and so amazing that it wouldn't require any patience on our part. It wouldn't require any kindness. It wouldn't require self-control. It wouldn't require any of this stuff because he or she is going to be so perfect that my perfection is just going to rise out of me. And they're going to bring the best out of me and I'm going to bring the best out of them and I don't need to do anything about any of these virtues. They're just going to magically flow out of me because, the, because it's going to be a response to finding the perfect someone because they're my perfect somebody. Listen, we're adults. We know better than this. We cannot continue to make this the core of our relationships. Melissa and I have been married for over 25 years. And here's what I understand. Marrying well will make you a better person. But the reason it made me a better person is because it forced me to face my selfishness. When I was dating her and I was on my best behavior. Listen, we all know how to do that. But in marriage, I am confronted with the raw me. 
So if you married well, you are still gonna, you're going to have to face your selfishness. And it's going to make you better. And eventually, if you stick around, you will perfect it. If you apply yourself, you'll, you'll overcome self-centeredness. And then you'll have children. <laughs> Whether they're biologically adopting, foster them, and everything starts all over again. And then you realize what a jerk you really are. It's a whole other level of facing your own selfishness. Look, I want you to win relationally. In the relationship you're in now, I want you to win in the relationship that maybe is in the future for you. Because here's what I know, is that between now and then, what you do matters. How you treat people matter. How you date matters. How you respond to your spouse, it matters. All of this is preparation for you to be a better you and have a higher love. Instead of just saying, well, I'm sure it'll all work out as long as I meet the right person. Nope. To win, you must prepare to win. And here's the promise. That following Jesus and embracing this higher love that the Apostle Paul talks about. This one overarching, demanding, but rewarding command that Jesus gives us. Loving others as, as Christ has loved us. It prepares us to win in higher love. Is that right?